seated. morning. How are y'all doing? Good. So glad to see y'all this morning. My name's Wyatt. I'm one of the elders here at Faith Family, and I'm so, it's my honor to get to welcome you this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, you've got the connection card there in front of you in the uh, pews. If you will uh, fill those out and get them to us uh, uh, in the offering baskets in the back uh, on your way out, we would love to be able to reach out to you later on. Um, I am also on the search committee, and so I have uh, wanted to give you all a little bit of an update for what's going on with our pastor search. Um, many of you know we, uh, gosh, it's been several weeks ago now, had posted the position on the Southern Baptist Convention's website, and in about three weeks we got 50, over 50 uh, resumes. And so that was uh, quite overwhelming, as you might can imagine, especially if we want to do our due diligence and spend uh, the time prayerfully searching for uh, this, this man that God has for us. And so, of course, in today's time, it's easy to find sermons. It's not like it used to be where you'd have to pretty much go visit somebody if you wanted to listen to them. You've got so much more at our fingertips, but that also means while it moves faster, it also moves slower because now you've got to process all that information that you have access to. So um, we've been prayerfully seeking the Lord as we try to hone in on a few, and we, I think we've done that in uh, just a handful that we're focusing on that we feel the Lord has, has led in that way, led us in that way. And we've started the process of communicating with a few, um, starting those processes of just getting to know them beyond just the resume and, and some sermons, because being a pastor is more than just those resumes and sermons. And we've listened to a lot, as uh, the team can, can attest. Uh, but uh, we want to know how they hear from the Lord, how they lead a church, how they lead a ministry team, how they lead their family how they're being fed and equipped to lead themselves. And so you can't just get those informa that information off of a resume. And so, of course, it'll take time, and we're trusting in God's timing. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead, step, step out on a limb, and say we probably won't have that person here by the 1st of July. Uh, so uh, in that, we're also pulling double duty as we're trying to prayerfully search for an interim, and we are kind of starting that process as well. And so while we may or may not have someone here on that first uh, Sunday of July as an interim, we do have a plan for how the pulpit will uh, will be filled until then. Um, but we do feel like the interim is absolutely a, a vital part of what we're doing and what the ch what's going to be going on in the church in the meantime between uh, Joel leaving and whoever this next man is. It's not just someone to stand up here and preach. It's someone who really will help uh, lead us into a place of being ready for uh, that man of God. So anyway, I do want to share kind of this uh, passage, and I think I shared it when we first announced the team, but I kind of keep going back to it. This is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It says, But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good, this is the verse, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So that's kind of what we're praying as the Lord uh, leads us and that uh, our timing line up with his timing and uh, 
his direction um, is made clear to us. Also, a couple other announcements. Um, you know, just a praise. I hope you join me in this praise, though it's not official yet, but what we've seen this week with the potential for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Thank you. <laughs> Certainly something. That, uh, I, know, I don't know for y'all, I don't know that I ever thought I'd see it in my lifetime. So certainly a praise, um, and that absolutely comes from the, from the Lord, and so we can lift that up to him in, in praise and thankfulness to him. Uh, we don't know what that's going to look like, but inevitably what it will lead to is there's going to be more children who have needs, more children placed, uh, have needs to be adopted, uh, more children who will be entering the system to, for various reasons, abuse and neglect, abandonment potentially. And so May, the month of May, is Foster Care Awareness Month. And so we're all aware that foster care exists, but we wanted to share a few numbers with you just to make sure that you're aware of what the needs are in this area. Uh, We as as the church are called to be a part of caring for these children, uh, but we may not necessarily be aware of of the need. So we're praying that more families, of course, are called by God to foster though we know not everyone is, but the command is clear from the Lord that what we're supposed to do to help uh, orphans and widows, of course, the least of these. And so we do pray that our hearts, as we hear these, that our hearts are affected. In the state of Alabama, we got a, uh, Daisy had a, a list that came out, snapshot picture. On May the 3rd, in the state of Alabama, there were uh, 5,800 children in foster care. And... <laughs> In Baldwin County alone, in Baldwin County, where, you know, this is, you know, Baldwin County, right? Everybody, it's a great place. 188 children, and that was on May the 3rd. We already know about five or six kids who've come through since then. So probably almost 200. Um, There are only 55 foster families in Baldwin County. But there's 188 kids. So... A lot of burden is on them. We do pray for more people to come forward, that the Lord call more people. But there's a lot that's on those who are called. And we can come alongside them in support. Um, We do want to remind you that Faith Family has partnered together with a faith-based organization in Mobile called Fostering Together Together Gulf Coast. And you have probably all participated helping us sort and, uh, you know, get the room ready. Um, For their time, the Baldwin County location for their foster care resource centers, it's located in our, um, what was our old, uh, our nursery pre-COVID at the back of the gym. And again, a small group of volunteers have been working to keep that closet organized, and there's still a lot that can be done. We're about to outgrow it, honestly, pretty quickly. Um, But they've also been meeting foster families. They get the call to say, hey, we we need clothes, we need diapers. and so uh, these ladies come and meet people here at, you know, at the drop of a hat to, to be able to provide for them and um, pray with them, uh, you know, listening to their stories. And um, in less than three months' time, we've been able to minister to and meet the needs of over 34 different children in foster care. We've been able to distribute over 600 items of clothing, baby essentials, diapers, and so many other things to help these families. So how can you help? You can help through prayer, of course. You can help by donating if you have uh, anything that could be used. 
and certainly by getting the word out in our community. I know I've had several talk to people at work, and they would go, I have this box of kids' clothes in my garage that I was going to take to Goodwill, and it's been sitting there for months. <laughs> but they, in turn, said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them by for these kids. Um, and we just have so many times where the timing has been just right. I talked with a lady at work, and she said, could y'all use a stroller? I've got a stroller I've been trying to get rid of. And literally that day, Daisy gets a call from a foster family that says, hey, y'all have a stroller? So next day, we're able to, to put that in her hands and, and help her out. So anyway, so certainly by putting the word out in the community that it's there and it exists and that we have needs to be able to donate to. Um, of course, tonight is our church service night at 6 o'clock, and we'll be working on the campus, on the grounds, but also there's going to be some work done in the foster closet. So I was kind of joking, ladies, send your men outside to work, and then you can work in the air conditioning in the foster closet. Um, but anyway, there's also some information on the back table um, that you can look after, uh, look at after the service to, to see how you can volunteer to help with the resource center, uh, to help serve in any way, so that the kids in our community can have the things that they need. Um, so please check those out. And again, tonight, other announcements tonight, the work night is at 6 o'clock, so we hope to see you there. And uh, I'll open this up in, in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, God, we, we see you and we understand, Lord, that you are abundantly gracious to us. So much more than what we deserve. And God, we thank you, and yet we also know that we have a responsibility. We have an obligation. You've called us to take care of those who are in pray that that be our heart and that we're moved to action in that regard. Lord, also, Father, as we are searching for your man to lead us, we know that, God, in fact, you lead us. You lead us every day. So I pray that our hearts are drawn to you to be led by you so that we're prepared and ready when your man is here before us, that we are in a place where we have submitted ourselves to you truly your people, seeking after what your will would be for them. And I pray over Matthew today, pray over us as a church body, that we are offering up, Lord, just a, hearts of adoration and worship to you. God, we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Church family, the passage that uh, Wyatt read Lamentations 3, it's actually one of my favorite passages. Um, and right before uh, that section, we see the author, many suspect it's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Um, and he talks about the suffering that he's going through. He says that his teeth are ground into gravel. And he's going through all of this. And yet he says, but this I know and I have hope. And he goes in, the Lord's faithful love endures. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what suffering, what trial you're facing right now, we have a loving, gracious king who can be our cornerstone. So let's stand as we continue in worship. is built 
or nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on Him. Unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Christ Lord, Lord of 
He is Lord of all. Resurrected 
send your son to die for us, to take our sin, our punishment. Lord, we cannot comprehend, we cannot understand the suffering and the pain. We cannot understand the love and the grace that this has been your plan since the beginning. Father, thank you. Thank you that you can be our cornerstone. That is on you that we can stand. And that one day we can be dressed in your righteousness to stand before you, faultless before the throne. God, I pray for Matthew as he comes to bring the word that you will give us ears to hear. God, give us hearts to understand. Father, that we can leave this building better equipped to be your church, that we can be your body and love others well. Father, we love you and we praise you. Sooner than we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, amen. Thank you all for leading us and carrying us before the throne of God. And so we are in John 6 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and flip there, we're going to look at the very beginning of the, uh, the bread of life teaching that, that Christ gives in the latter half of this chapter. And so this is right in the, the beginning of a great section of Scripture in the Gospel of John. And so we just want to look at a few verses here and really want to draw out something simple. I'm going to try to keep it simple and uh, just make a point uh, from this. Uh, one thing about what Jesus says here in regards to this crowd who's chasing him after, uh, after he's fed him. So let's read first. How about let's, let's read a few verses and then we'll pray one more time and then we'll get started working through it. So let's start in verse 15 and then we will go to verse uh, 25 and then pick up from there. All right. So follow with me if you would. Verse 15 of chapter 6 in John. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that they, uh, where there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat and his, with his disciples. 
but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So, we see here the context. But let's pray first. I said we're going to pray. Let's pray first, ask the Lord's blessing, and then we'll, we'll go to context. Father God, thank you for this morning and this time. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for preserving uh, these miraculous things that you sent your son to do and that Christ Jesus did as signs, as evidences of the validity of his claims and of him coming to fulfill scripture and coming to give his life. And so, Father, I ask that, God, you would help us this morning. God, may we see Christ. May we see what he has done on behalf of the world and on behalf of the church, that anyone who would call upon his name would be saved from sin and death and be brought into an inheritance, a marvelous inheritance of becoming your child because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so, Father, would you be glorified? Would you speak? Lord, would you direct our hearts towards you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the section we're going to look at shows us these crowds. And so chapter 5, wonderful chapter that talks about uh, the, uh, the authority of Jesus' questioned and Pharisees and Jewish people are coming to him and saying, why can you do this? Why are you doing all this stuff? You just tell us about yourself. And Jesus says, no, that what I say about myself, the Father backs up. He has said, he has said this is true. I am who I claim to be. And that these miracles that I do are evidences that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Messiah. And so we have here in chapter 6 a transition into another incredible miracle. As he is teaching around the Sea of Galilee and a big crowd numbering at least 5,000 show up and they are listening and learning and Jesus says to one of his disciples, hey, Take care of them. They've been here all day. Feed them some food. And Philip's like, how do I do this? How do I take care of them? There's a bunch of them. I don't have enough money. We couldn't come up with enough. There's like, how are we going to feed all these folks? And so Jesus is testing them. Jesus is sly. He's, he's testing them. And, and he knows full well what he is going to do. And so as, as Food is given, just a very small amount. Jesus gives thanks, blesses it, and then starts passing it out. And it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going to where everybody has more than enough. And then the disciples go around, gather it up, and there is more than they began with. And so God, Christ, multiplies this bread, this food, that all could have some and be filled. And so we we come to this place in verse 15 where the crowd is like, this is great. Like, we don't have to, we, we got food. We'll, we'll be taken care of forever. And so they, they think, we're going to steal him. We're going to take him and make him our king. We're going to, we're going to put on a crown and a, a, a robe, and he is going to lead us and fight for us and take care of us. And so their intention, I think, this is here specifically to show us what they are after is not listening to Christ, but what they can get out of him. Their focus is, what has Jesus done for us? Look at what he's done for us. Let's have some more of that. Let's have some more of this and have him meet those needs. So the crowd was amazed at his work, at his power. 
and wanted to force him to be their king, to lead them. And so Jesus, knowing full well what his purpose was, why he was there, he withdrew. He pulled away, went up the mountain, prayed, and uh, the disciples stayed. We don't know exactly what they were doing, but they waited and then left. As they hop in a boat and they travel, and the crowd, for whatever reason, stays there and waits for Jesus. And so Jesus knows what happened. He walks, he walks down at night, walks across the ocean. We see that, and, or the sea, it wasn't an ocean, but the Sea of Galilee. Walks across it, meets them in the boat, and they go across. Crowd wakes up. And we see as they wake up, and Jesus isn't there, and so whatever their, their motive, Scripture is not clear of why they were there. We could probably speculate of what they were doing and their surprise of him not being there. But they go searching for him. They go looking for him. And if we look at the end of this chapter, we see where they find him. That this teaching that the rest of chapter 6 goes over of Jesus being the bread of life happens in a synagogue. That in this place of worship, They find him, and they confront him, and they ask him, where did you come? Where did you go? So look in verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Kind of a strange question, like, when did you get over here? Not, where did you go? Or, when did you come here? When did you get here? And so Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer their question. Jesus kind of goes to the heart of what they're after. He goes past this question rather than giving a mere answer and gets down to where they are of what is motivating them and what is leading them. Jesus directs the attention to what is most important, which is their their soul, and specifically their heart of unbelief. That throughout this chapter, it will become clearer that their, their turning to Christ and following him is not a pure following. They're not following Christ out of pure faith. They're following him because their stomachs were filled. And that'll be, that'll be clearer here. Let's read 26 through 29. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me. Uh, you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So behind the question, we see Jesus answers that they did not, they were not coming because of what they saw and what it revealed, but because they were full, because their stomachs were filled and they It was breakfast time, and they wanted some more. And so notice, he says, truly, truly. That is an emphatic statement. It may be amen, amen in your translation, but basically it's saying this is true, this is certainly true. There is no doubt. This is assuredly a true thing. And so as Jesus is is speaking this, he is saying that this is exactly what is happening, that he, these people have come to seek him not because they saw the signs. And this sign, this word is important in the Gospel of John, and it's important throughout the Gospels of what is he talking about? What is a sign? This specifically was a miracle, a display of power that reveals who Jesus is. That every time Jesus does a miracle, every time he does something incredible, like feeding the 5,000, like walking across the, the Sea of Galilee, 
these things that he did are not just displays of power. It's not just a, an amazing thing that he did, but it's always an avenue of displaying who he really is. It is, a, it is a means, a vehicle of showing the greatness of him, that he truly is divine, that he is the Messiah, and his claims are genuine. That what he says about himself is true, and that he has come to fulfill He has come to fulfill all the Old Testament expectation of the Savior who had come to save Israel and the world. And so every time we see a miracle, these are not just empty things, but these point beyond themselves to deeper realities that can be perceived by faith, to deeper realities of who he is and what God is doing that can only be perceived with the eyes of faith. And so Jesus, he is calling this crowd and saying, you've not come to me because you have seen what I have done and what it says about him. But you're focused, you're consumed with these physical things. You're consumed with with your full stomach. You're consumed with these physical needs rather than what these obvious, incredible things say about him. And so Jesus Jesus confronts them on this, of how, how their heart is to be benefited. And so this is a picture, I think. This happened, but it's also a picture of the human heart. It's a picture of how we can easily be consumed by things around us and consumed by our needs, by circumstances, and not see what God is actually doing. Not see what he actually has done, what he actually has produce, but instead, like this crowd, look to Jesus as a divine gift giver. Look to God as the one who has no limit, therefore he can take care of me and what I need, what I want, rather than what he came to do, which is far better than having more food, which is far better than a temporary meal, which is far better than temporary pleasures and and things that we could have in this world. What he was doing what he is talking about here, this bread, this, this food that never ends, is far better than a meal that keeps a basket that keeps producing food. But it is what wells up into eternal life. And so it's natural. The natural approach is to look to God for something, to meet physical needs, to be consumed by those things. Kind of like the woman at the well. Remember that in chapter 4? That is, as Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and she is, he's talking to her about this water, that I have water that will well up into eternal life. And she's like, wow, I don't, I don't have to come here anymore and drink water. Like, her focus is the water. Her focus is that she is there at the middle of the day sweating, trying to get water and avoid people. And Jesus, the king of the world, is there telling her that he has something that will never end and it's not physical water but it is the spirit it is salvation in christ it is what what he would provide and what she began to believe what god opened her up to believe and then as she goes back to her her town and shares and the whole community comes out to hear and see christ and believe in him And so as she missed it, as she was thinking just physically, Jesus continued to pursue her and reveal to her the spirit, the reality of what he is doing 
And it's far greater than physical things. And the same here we see with this crowd that has searched for him, that is looking for him, is that he tells them, verse 27, to not work for food that perishes. Don't work for things that will eventually crumble and go away, but instead for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so we have a contrast here between this food and the food. The term for food is, is pretty important. It's not just like, like food, material things, but it, it, it's a word that means to consume. It's the act of eating. And so it has to do with the actual object, but it's, but it's expansive upon the process of taking something that you desperately need for your sustenance and taking it to be a part of you, of consuming this. This is the word, if you look back in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uses in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 19, to talk about the rust that if we are to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, that word for rust is this same word for food that's used here. And so the word, the idea is more than just bread. That the miracle before this at the beginning of this chapter, again, is a vehicle to point to what he is spiritually doing. To this process of taking in, of becoming a part, of, of depending fully upon this this food, this thing to be consumed, that it will bring you life and that you desperately depend upon it. And so there's a very there's a very practical touch reality to this of food. If you stop eating, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt you and it's not gonna go well long term for you. And so similarly he's using this to say that the, the bread, the food that he brings, what he is doing, what he would offer, what he is bringing about, never ends. It will not be exhausted. I think there's a really important difference in here between the miracle that opens this chapter and what he's saying here. And that if we look at the miracle of of the bread that he distributed to this crowd of people, that he took a loaf and it just kept going. It just kept going. And so he made more of it and made more of it. And so it's multiplied. And so you have whatever it is, whatever was actually the physical food there that was expanded and provided and met the need of them, and it was done. And I think there's a difference in what he's saying here. In this structure of the bread, the food that, uh, that the Son of Man gives that endures to eternal life. What he's talking about is not multiplying things. But he's talking about what he is doing will never be exhausted. It's never to be replaced. It'll never be worn out. This food he's talking about is something that you cannot run out of, you cannot wear out. That no position, condition of life will exhaust this life that will continue on into eternity. And so what, what is he talking about? This thing that he will give. And so he says this bread, it belongs to him, the son of man. It's a favorite title of Jesus. Points to Adam, the second Adam we see in Romans as, as Jesus comes 
uh, in, in the likeness of Adam to restore what Adam brought about. The destruction and the sin, Jesus completely is the opposite of it. He is the complete, perfect human. And so Jesus, he has come as the Son of Man, also pointing to Daniel 7, a clear prophecy of this, uh, the Messiah who would come, who would be entitled as the Son of Man. And so Jesus is making a clear, distinct messianic claim that he is this person, that he is God, he is the Messiah, and what he has, he will give. This food that lasts and endures to eternal life, he will give. It belongs to him, and he will give it. So he is willing to do so, and his testimony here of this is trustworthy. Why? Why does it say it's trustworthy? Because God the Father has placed his seal upon him. And so the word seal here really has two intents. That one, it's a seal to prove one's authority, and it's an accreditation. It's to prove authority, but also to identify. And so remember, remember when Jesus was baptized, what happened? When he was baptized, he went in, John the Baptist dunked him under, brought him up, and then all of a sudden, clouds split, the Holy Spirit descends, and then a disembodied voice from heaven speaks, this is my son, who I'm well pleased, listen to him, follow him. God the Father seals visibly and publicly who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, he is the Messiah. Therefore, what he says is true, therefore, what he is doing is true and displays the validity of his identity, that he is the Lord. So the crowd, they were confused, as we may be, confused about what he was talking about. And so he says then, as they ask in verse 28, and they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a plural works, the works of God. What do we, what do we need to do? How do we do it? How do we get there? What do we, I, me, this crowd need to do to arrive at whatever God wants us to do? Jesus' response, he answers them. This is the work of God. And in the Greek, this is a belonging. This is a possession. He's saying this is God's work. This is what God has done and is what he is doing. That you believe in him whom he has sent. And so I think here clearly in this scripture, we have, we have this crowd. We have this crowd who is having a difficulty understanding what Jesus has done and who he is. Because they are not approaching him with eyes of faith. They are approaching him according to their circumstance and according to their, their, their human perspective rather than listening and trusting in him. The work of God is faith in the Son. And so I think it's intentional here that as they are approaching him and saying, what must we do? How do we do this? How do we accomplish what God wants us to do? Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. This is what God has done. Look to him. What he intends for you is to trust in the Son, to trust in Christ, to depend upon him. And so Jesus makes this connection. If we continue on throughout this chapter, and just to summarize, as Jesus transitions based on the question of this crowd, as they say, well, how are you take care of us? 
um, our, our fathers in, in the Exodus. Moses gave us bread. Moses gave us manna. He took care of our needs. And Jesus corrects that and says, God the Father provided for the, the Jewish people in the Exodus. And then Jesus draws the connection of the bread that was provided for Israel is the same as the Son, the bread of life, who God has provided here. So what the crowd attributed erroneously to Moses, Jesus says, no, this, this occurrence in the Exodus pointed forward to him and what God the Father has done in providing the Son. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the bread of life, turning to Christ, trusting in him and coming to him in faith, yields, yields, needs met, yields that spiritually there is no more need. That there will never be a replacement, that what he is doing, what he is providing, what he is bringing about is true life that is beyond the physical, beyond our flesh, that is spiritual and eternal. What he is doing is truly providing for our, our spiritual need. And so Jesus is this bread that God provides. And so the real simple point here, the real simple point in this passage, is what consumes us. What consumes our lives? Are we consumed by working towards things that will perish? Or what consumes our focus is it? Belief and trust and walking after Christ. Things that are eternal. Is the tone and the, the walk of our lives, what our lives look at, are we, have we turned in faith towards Christ to trust in Him? To be content whatever Whatever is around us, wherever we are, but to turn by faith, trusting in Christ, that by trusting in him, we would not hunger and never thirst, that we would be in Christ and we would trust in what he has done on our behalf. Or, like this crowd, are we consumed in finding our needs to be met by physical things around us and are consumed by things that are just temporal and that will perish? And so if, you're, if you don't know Christ... If you do not know Jesus, if you've not trusted in him, or you have question, Jesus says clearly here who he is and what he has done. What he was doing, what he would do towards the end of the gospel and the end of his ministry. What he was working towards, that he would give his life. He would pay for sin on the cross out of his perfection, out of his goodness, out of his authority that he displays in these miracles, he was coming to give his life on the cross that because he does not deserve death, he has no sin, there is not a single corruption inside him, that in doing so, he destroys sin and death by his willing sacrifice of himself, by giving his own life, destroys these things so that by his righteousness he can bring about life and offer it and give it to those who would come to him in faith. Those who would call upon his name, who would come to him and trust in him, he would apply the, the righteousness of what he has accomplished on the cross that would yield a life alive in him 
that would yield never, never hungering and never thirsting spiritually, that would eventually grow into eternal life. The food, coming to Christ and depending upon Him and trusting in Him that wells up and grows and never ends to where it keeps going forever. That's what He is, he is done and doing. And he says, He says to this crowd, you have come to get more of what you think you need. But you think you need this because you are not coming to me in faith. That instead of giving your life for these temporal things that will not last, turn instead to Christ. Turn instead to trust in Him that the King of the world would be what you need. That what He has done and who He is, He was sufficient for any need and everything. And so if we continue, let's look at a few more verses at the end of this chapter. In verses 63 through 65, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The flesh is no use. What answers we may give are no use to fix what has broken our sin inside us. Our unbelief, we can't fix it. It is only by the Spirit. It is only by what God has done and in coming to him to trust in him. And so if you see in this passage... 63 through 65, you have both, you have both things. God's sovereign uh, issue of an invitation to trust in him and then our responsibility, that we are responsible to respond to him. That we have this tension here in the text and it's not a problem. That Jesus has to have come and given his life and then the Father issue by his spirit what he has done, then you trust and turn to him. You have a responsibility. You have, you have a choice of what you do with Christ. Of whether you look at him and say, I just want more stuff. I just want more things. I just want more, more things around me that I can enjoy. I can, meet these, I can meet these pleasures in life and just have these things that eventually will perish and will not last. Or you can listen to him and what he has said and what he has done and instead go to him turn to him and ask seek him and ask that he would reveal and open your eyes and forgive you and trust in Christ there's both there is a responsibility we have to believe in what he has done and what he has revealed because he gives life belongs to him and so verse 40 for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that's his promise. That's what he has done. The bread of life, the Lord of all, Jesus came and gave his life, that anyone who would call upon him, who would turn to him and look on the Son and believe, their sins would be paid for, 
they would receive his grace and that what he has done, he will raise up on the last day. Nothing will separate. Nothing will conclude it. That life will continue on because of Jesus, because of his goodness and what he has done. He calls you to respond. This word that he has preserved, that he has delivered, and that he has given to us to look at this morning is his call. What he has done, he calls you to respond to him. Do you hear him? Listen to him. If you don't know him, listen to what he says. Turn your life to him. Ask him to help you. Ask him to reveal. Ask him to make it clear in your life. Make it clear in your mind who you are and where you are. Make it clear what he has done for you and seek him. Just like this crowd who went after him and searched after him as these disciples followed him. The end of this chapter we see a great amount of this crowd turn away. They leave Jesus and they go away. And Jesus talks to the disciples. Talks to the disciples, are you going to go too? Are you done with this difficult thing that he is, he is teaching and saying here? And their answer, how can we? You have the words of life. You are the Lord. So if you don't know Christ, turn to him, seek him, walk after him, listen to what he says. And persist. Seek that he would reveal who he is and what he has done for you. That by his spirit he would apply what Jesus has done on your behalf. And also believers. As believers he's called us to turn to him in faith. To trust him, to believe in him. And it doesn't change. Remember the end of the section we looked at that he says that the work of God is that you believe in him whom he sent. The work, what God has done, is that you would trust in Christ. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change for us. We continue to trust in Christ, to walk in faith, to depend upon him, that he would meet our needs. He's not opposed to physical things. He just fed a whole lot of people, and he does that more than once. He's not opposed to physical things. He created you and me. He's not opposed to the needs you have. But when those needs crowd out him and become a replacement for Christ and a replacement for God is when it is a drastic issue. When instead of directing your attention and focus towards him, towards the bread of life, towards the Lord Christ, living and walking and trusting in Him, these other things, when they are taking that place, you're working for things that perish. The focus of your life and what you're doing are, are things that perish and that will not endure. And so His instruction is to turn to Him and trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. Believe in what he has done. Be content in your circumstances. The good things he has given you, be content in it and look to Christ. Walk in faith in him and what he has done and who he is in his promise. Trusting in his work because you were made to trust in him. There's a guy, he's, he's dead. Uh, his name's Augustine. And he was a pastor in North Africa 
um, several, several hundred years ago. And I've got a quote for you. He wrote a book called His Confessions. And it's basically a long testimony of how God was faithful in his life, what God did to lead him and bring him to faith. And in the very beginning, in chapter 1, he makes a phenomenal statement uh, that I just want to read real quick. It should be on the screen. Yes, there it is. And yet to praise thee is the wish of man who is but a part of thy creation. Thou dost bestir him so that he takes delight in praising thee. For thou hast made us for thee, and our heart is unquiet till it finds its rest in thee. More modern translation, he's saying that God has made us. We will be restless in life until we find rest in him. We were made to rest in Christ. It is who God made you to be. And so everything else you go after will leave you restless and empty. Because all those things are meant to be used and will be used up, but Christ will never be exhausted. You have been made to rest in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. Turn to Him, believer, unbeliever, turn to Christ. Find rest in Him. Acknowledging His authority and dependence upon Him, trusting in His loving grace that will yield a life transformed to obey Him. Return to Christ. Turn to Christ. If something, if you, you have given your, your attention this week to something that is temporal and that will perish, turn to Him. Consider those things. Turn to Christ to feast on Him, the food that will never, that will endure to eternal life. Trusting, turning to Him. Last thing. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. Wonderful verse to commit to, two verses to commit to memory if you have a moment. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who it is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That world he's talking about is a world that is consumed with temporal things and a world of sin, a world of self, a world of just making me happy. You will not, be over, you will not find success. You will not find eternal life satisfaction in the things of the world around us. What you can muster and make, but it is only in Christ. It is turning away from those things and trusting in Jesus. And that'll have to happen again and again and again. Because if you're like me, when circumstances are good, you're, you're happier. When things go well, that has an effect, right? That when our circumstances are going like we want them, that we can ride that high for a little while. And that that must affect God must be with us. He's like taking care of us. When there is prosperity around us. But that's not, that's not what Jesus says. That's <laughs> not what Jesus has promised. That the circumstances of our lives do not depend on His favor. His favor is His goodness, His grace in Christ. It, it is unwavering. It has nothing to do with the circumstances and condition of our life. His promise is true regardless. 
And so he may take you into a place of difficulty and darkness, but like the disciples who said, we don't understand, but you have the words of life and continue to walk after him. Continue to press on and walk after Christ. He is the Lord. Don't turn from him. Continue to walk after him in faith and dependence upon Christ because you were made to find rest in him and that by faith in him there is overcoming sin and death, destruction, and whatever struggle you may come up against in your life. So I hope you know Christ. I hope you're trusting in him. I hope you have trusted in him. I would love to help you, meet with you, talk to you, pray with you if you need help in that direction. If it's just not clear. Because he wants you to be clear. He wants you to know that you belong to him. That you've believed in him. And that what he promises that one day those who have believed in him and that have should have eternal life he will raise up in the last day that he will bring you back to be with him forever let's pray father god i thank you thank you for your grace god i thank you that lord jesus you have given your life on our behalf we have not merited and earned anything anything good in life you are you are the good God of the world, that every good gift comes down from you, from above, the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, that all good things you have given us, and that you have given us the greatest in your Son. And so God, would you help us? Help us to turn our attention and affection towards you, to turn away from things that might consume our attention to be able to recognize things we may have given our attention to, that, Lord, we would recognize the effect and the outcome and instead decide to turn towards you, to the bread of life, to the food that never perishes, that, God, we would have faith that endures past now and that depends upon your Son. So, Father, would you lead us? Would you, would you guide us, God? Guide our gaze and our our affections, guide, Lord, our lives, that, God, you would be pleased and you would be glorified in us because you deserve all of it. And so, Father, would you lead the next few minutes, lead us in response, God. Call us to respond to you, to trust in your Son, to turn from the things of the world, things that, Lord, will perish with use, to turn from sin and selfishness and instead to turn to your son Jesus by faith. We thank you and ask all in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. So, it's a time of response.